The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, good day, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. So glad to have you with me. Got a lot to talk about on today's program. And Michigan, we need to have a talk. We need to have a talk about incentives and incentives that we dangle in front of businesses to get them to relocate to our state. If you take a look at what's happening in Wisconsin with this Foxconn deal and a new audit that the state just put out about how much we may overstate some of the benefits of these incentives, it's time for us to actually have a serious conversation about whether or not this is something we want to continue in its current form. Or do we need to take a hard look at exactly what we're offering these companies and what they're giving us in return? So we'll talk about that on today's program. Also, something that I found very interesting. Voters in Missouri, maybe as early as 2020, are going to vote to decide whether or not to merge St. Louis and St. Louis County. It would immediately make it the 10th largest city in America with just over 1.5 million people. Detroit and St. Louis, incredibly similar in so many different ways. We'll talk a little bit about whether or not this is an idea that could work for us. We'll talk about that. And also, it is cold outside. Hopefully, everybody's okay. You're taking care of things. Remember, leave those cupboard doors open so the pipes don't freeze under the sink. And some other tips that we can get to. That's all coming up on The Craig Folly Show. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Hey, Craig here. Thanks for joining me for the show today. We've got a lot coming up. Like I said, a little bit later on, we are going to get into uh, what's going on with this weather. The change is going to be dramatic over the next couple of days, but uh, the coolest thing about it is this cracking noise I hear half the time I'm walking outside. It's apparently the ground freezing and air pockets exploding under the ground. It's really kind of a, a unique thing that only happens, I guess, when it gets to be about six below or whatever it was this morning. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Right now, though, I want to talk about a couple of stories that I saw in the Detroit News today. One of them was a column by Daniel Howes taking a look at the Foxconn deal in Wisconsin. This is something I've talked about before. And the second story in the news was taking a look at an audit that the state put out in regards to the incentives uh, that are offered to companies to relocate to places like Michigan. Obviously, there has been sort of a a war when it comes to these business incentives. Multiple states coming up with financial tools that they can put in place to try to lure companies to their state, whether they're tax breaks, uh, breaks on property prices, all kinds of different things that they can do. Now, the audit, the audit, and this is something we'll get into a little bit later, is suggesting that the state has inflated the benefits of the business subsidies that it has offered, trying to sell these ideas and make them look better than they are. Now, they're not massive problems that we're talking about, but we'll get into it because I think it is important when we as citizens weigh whether or not we should be granting these tax incentives to these big companies to move here for the promise of things like jobs. Now, we all remember the gigantic effort that went into trying to lure Amazon's second headquarters here. And it also appears that just about every other city bought into this as well, and they all got burned. They ended up moving to D.C. and New York, which is pretty much what everybody expected to begin with. But all these communities were given this hope that maybe, just maybe, Amazon HQ2 would be coming to their city, whether it was Pittsburgh, Detroit, Cleveland, Buffalo, Akron. I mean, all sorts of different places put in for this. Milwaukee, Chicago, Toronto. 
They all bent over backwards to see who could come up with the most attractive package to attract Amazon and the promised 50,000 jobs to the community. Well, Detroit didn't even make it out of the first round, which I think shocked a lot of local leaders. But at the same time, they did say that they learned a ton from this process and that the collaborative effort was something that they can use going forward to attract perhaps different companies to the state. Now, the other one that didn't receive as much press as Amazon, because the Amazon one was huge, but there was a battle to land a plant by a company called Foxconn. Now, Foxconn makes liquid crystal displays for iPhones. They're not a U.S. company. They were looking to do some manufacturing in the U.S., at least that's what they said. Michigan, I know, went on a couple of trade missions to see if they could lure Foxconn to the state. Governor Snyder went. But Wisconsin also went fully in on this. Governor Scott Walker in Wisconsin went really, really big on this. And when I say really big, I mean it's it's really big what they decided to do. And they ended up winning this deal to get Foxconn, and I believe it was about 10,000 manufacturing jobs that were supposed to be here. Well, 13,000, excuse me, 13,000 were supposed to be hourly manufacturing jobs. 18% were supposed to be engineers. So this was hailed as a win by the Trump administration as a win for manufacturing in the United States. And this is the kind of stuff you have to do to make the U.S. competitive. Now, Wisconsin gave $4 billion in incentives to Foxconn. $4 billion. $2.85 billion of that was in cash. That's a huge amount of cash for a state to give up. $2.85 billion in cash to lure the largest contract manufacturer to a site in the southeast corner of the state. And, of course, this was Paul Ryan's district, so he was all about it as well. Of course, the former Speaker of the House. Now, Foxconn, 18 months ago when they announced this deal, again, said that 75% of those 13,000 jobs would be hourly operators, 18% would be engineers. However, that has been revised now. We now have the company suggesting that the hourlies are down to about 33%. And that percentage has been dropped since to 10% blue-collar workers. So instead of 75% of 13,000 jobs that were going to be manufacturing hourly wage jobs, blue-collar jobs, it is now down to 10% blue-collar workers. And that 10% number is reduced even further because Foxconn now says, yeah, we said we are going to manufacture stuff, but we're not going to do that anymore. We're still committed to Wisconsin, but this is going to be an engineering facility mostly. So it's white-collar jobs that are coming. And there's nothing wrong with white-collar jobs. That's not a bad thing. Michigan has a ton of them with automotive suppliers and automotive industry, and that's a huge part of our economy. But that's not what they were sold. So Wisconsin just paid $2.85 billion in cash to get Foxconn to come here, and they're not living up to their end of the bargain to rebuild manufacturing in Wisconsin, which is what was promised. That's what they said they were going to do. Now, Foxconn now just says, sorry, Uh, they're blaming what they call changes in the global market environment since they announced the project. So this again, the company that makes the iPhone, they've had all sorts of issues in China. We know about that. And they were going to try to bring some of these jobs over to the United States to, to smooth over some of those waters there and to please Apple. But it's not happening. Now what they're suggesting is it's going to be knowledge workers, as they call them, doing research and development. Now again, jobs are jobs, but the number of jobs is a lot fewer than what was talked about. And only 10% of those are going to be, quote-unquote, blue-collar jobs. And if you're having an R&D facility, what does that mean for those blue-collar jobs? They're not going to be building anything. They're going to be cleaning the building, doing maintenance on the building. That's not what they promised that, that they would do. Not even close. 
And so it's now looking like Foxconn pulled a massive bait and switch on Wisconsin in exchange for $4 billion in incentives, including a cash payout of $2.85 billion. I can't stress that enough. This isn't just tax breaks that they're getting. They got $2.85 billion in cash. Now, there's a lot of reasons that they're changing it. Again, changes in the global market environment means that, you know, the trade war that we're in right now is having an impact on this kind of stuff. We've got all sorts of trade tensions with China and the EU. And of course, you've got GM and other companies that are closing U.S. plants because the market has changed since the, since the Trump presidency began. Harley-Davidson moving production out of Wisconsin overseas because they're not selling as many motorcycles in the U.S. Their emerging markets are in Asia, and that's where they're going to build the product. Foxconn's making a very similar decision right now. So what does that mean for their incentives? Should they get the incentives? And if they don't, they'll pull the plug on the entire project. I mean, Wisconsin, not only did they give them huge incentives, they're also spending tons of money rebuilding entire freeway infrastructure over there for what they expected was going to be a huge amount of daily traffic going to and from that plant. It's not happening now. So Wisconsin... Scott Walker probably lost the election as a result of this deal because it became pretty clear that Foxconn was not going to deliver on the promise, not even close. And so this giant announcement that was hailed as sort of a resurgence of manufacturing in Wisconsin is all for pretty much not. It's looking awful. But this is something that we need to take a look at. Wisconsin bent over backwards to get this company. Michigan offered a ton too. Unfortunately, we didn't win this because we'd be the ones with egg on our face right now. But when we talk about incentives, it's important that we actually take a look at another aspect of this because something that came out yesterday, something that a lot of people have been looking at and waiting to see what the results were. Now, the state of Michigan did an audit of the Michigan Strategic Fund. Now, the Michigan Strategic Fund is the state organization that oversees economic incentive packages, economic development programs in the state like the Michigan Economic Growth Corporation, things along those, those lines. Now, what this audit found was that the strategic fund inflates the potential benefits from the business subsidies that they offer, and they need to be a lot more thorough in verifying that the jobs these companies say they're going to create are actually created in the state. Now, it didn't find these to be major faults, right? But they did say they needed to do a better job of reporting. They called these, quote-unquote, reportable conditions, now, something that would be more concerning would be something called material conditions. Those are just flaws that are just built into the system. They're saying that this is a reporting thing, but they're saying that they're overestimating the benefits of these subsidies. Now, that's, that's kind of a big deal if you think about it because we are constantly sold on these projects. Hey, we have to offer these tax incentives because they're going to bring in however many jobs. But we often see that those jobs don't materialize the way that they should, or the number of local people that are supposed to get those jobs, they don't meet that. That's happened a lot when it comes to uh, Little Caesars Arena construction. They never once met the, pro the hiring goal of the percentage of Detroiters that should be working on that project. They never met it. They ended up paying some fines, but at the same time, they promised a ton and didn't deliver in exchange for some serious breaks on that property over there. So if you think about this, we're being told one thing and then another thing typically happens. Now, I'm not suggesting there's not room for economic incentive packages. They have to be a part of the state's business attraction and retention strategy. It's huge because everybody else is doing it. 
There's not going to be a ceasefire from other states and other regions just because we say, hey, that's not fair. We got to clamp down on this kind of stuff. But you know what? Maybe we need to ratchet down the arms race just a little bit when it comes to this and not not promise these corporations the moon if they're not going to deliver the green cheese from the moon. We need to be a little bit more careful about how we look at these things. And I'm not suggesting that we have to get rid of them. I'm not suggesting that at all. We're going to need to compete. And other states will be doing this. But you know what? We can do a better job of holding these companies accountable for what they do promise. And at the same time, when you're selling a project to the constituents, do me a favor. Tell the truth about what you're expecting. Tell me where the pitfalls are going to be. What's going to be the hurdle to meeting these job goals? What are the things that could impact whether or not this is going to work? Give me a conservative estimate rather than a rosy optimistic estimate as to what this is going to happen because almost always they fall short of those initial projections, whether it's stadium construction, whether it's factory construction, whatever. They always say they're going to create this much, this many jobs and this much economic opportunity. But rarely, rarely does it ever meet those rosy projections. Occasionally, somebody will go over the top and things work. But I can't recall the last one that actually met all of the obligations that they said they were going to meet when they announced this project. And this is why we had to give this company this much money or this much of a tax break. We need to be realistic about this. And politicians and people who are involved in the economic development game don't oversell us on what this is going to mean because all it does is make us cynical and not believe you the next time. Give us a conservative estimate. Hey, if this goes well, we expect at least this many jobs. Give me a bottom line number. It's going to create this many. We'd like it to be more. If things go well, it could be more. But this is what we think this is going to be. Give me a realistic assessment. Because it's a lot easier to do a better job than you promise if you're promising something realistic than to do a worse job than you promise when you're basically selling us a bill of goods at the front end of the deal. Knock that off. Let's be realistic and figure this out. There's got to be some sanity returning to the system because I do not want to see what happened in Wisconsin happen to us here in Michigan. And I'm just waiting, waiting to see what happens in D.C. and uh, New York with this Amazon stuff. Is that going to be 50,000 jobs? Is it going to be worth the investment there? People in D.C. are already complaining. New Yorkers are already complaining about what they think is going to happen and did they give away the store to get this? Sanity. That's all I'm asking for. A little bit of sanity. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Stay with us. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor, and The Trip, wise relationship advice with hosts Megan Slattery and Tracy Evans. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. So glad you could be with me on this Thursday. And every once in a while, uh, I like to share something that, that, you know, it's probably unlikely. I don't think we're going to have this vote anytime soon. But it was an article I was reading in City Lab, um, which is a, a great source if you're into urban planning and urban uh, living and all that kind of stuff. It's good about politics. It's good about planning. It's good about a lot of different things. But I came across a story today that that got me thinking. I mean, as you know, I've been a huge proponent of regional 
collaboration and cooperation for a long time and trying to break some of the log jams that stop us and prevent us from working together more effectively here in the region. Whether it's city versus suburb, whether it is county versus county, we haven't done a very good job with this. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of different things we have not been able to collaborate on very well, transit just being the most obvious one in recent years. But everything from a vote on the DIA to a vote on the zoo, it's always a difficult slog to get people to collaborate and work together on this. But Detroit, it's a unique place, obviously. We've got our segregation issues. We've got our, of course, uh, you know, we've got segregation based on race, on poverty uh, and, and income level and all these different things that we're dealing with. Another city that is very similar is St. Louis. Now, these older cities in the Midwest, of course, they were stopped from annexing more property, so you had the rise of suburbs around them, whereas in the western parts of the country and, and places like Texas and in Florida, in, in many instances, these cities can just keep annexing property, and so they keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So Phoenix now is like this massive place. Houston, absolutely massive, because they don't have as many suburbs. They basically just annex all the land and then become one unit of government. Charlotte, North Carolina, same thing, countywide system. Only a few suburbs, most of it just keeps getting annexed by Charlotte, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger as a result. Whereas Detroit, now they say, well, Detroit's now like the 13th largest city in America. Well, in reality, if you count the metro area, no, it's in the top 10 still, just about. So, you know, you're losing ground, or 16th or whatever it is now. We're losing ground all the time. St. Louis, St. Louis is very similar to Detroit in the way that it's set up. You've got a core city that has been decimated by population loss, abandonment, um, and the suburbs have thrived around it. But they've got a lot of the same political dynamics that we have here. They have a lot of the same economic dynamics that we have here. Now, interestingly enough, as soon as 2020, it's possible that St. Louis and the state of Missouri will be voting on whether or not to merge St. Louis City with St. Louis County. So it would be a new type of local government in Missouri, basically a metropolitan city. It would be the entire metro area of St. Louis County would be one unit of government. Now, what does that do? It does a lot of things. If you Just imagine if it was Detroit. Think about how cash-strapped Detroit has been if the entire county was one city. Well, there's a lot of different resources you could spread around and, and, and you know help things. It's, it's not going to be an easy thing to do. I'm not even suggesting that it's going to work. I'm just intrigued that St. Louis is talking about this. And there's a lot of different things that they're going to have to work through here. None of them are easy, right? There's a lot of people in St. Louis proper that are complaining about the possibility of this, suggesting that it is going to dilute African-American political power within that city because you would have a countywide vote and the split between city and suburbs in St. Louis is very similar to what we have here. You have uh, outer suburbs that are predominantly white and, of course, the inner city is predominantly black. St. Louis is very similar to Detroit in that regard, and there is concern that their political power would be diluted, that they would lose access to that power because, again, the population outside the city is much larger, much larger. But if you think about this, St. Louis, if it were to do this, would instantly transform into the 10th largest city in the U.S. with 1.3 million people, again, bigger than San Jose, just behind Dallas if they decide to do something like this. Now, if Detroit did it, What do we have, about 1.7 million in Wayne County, if I'm not mistaken? 1.754 million people. That would put Detroit right there in the top 10 once again in terms of the largest cities in America if we were to do something like that. Does that matter? No, not really. But again, this is not a new thing. There have been 40 city-county mergers in the U.S. 
in recent decades. Now think about this. Nashville did it back in 1962. Indianapolis, 1970. Louisville, 2003. Those are pretty big places. And they have not necessarily been hurt by this. But the thing is, voters getting this passed is going to be an incredibly, incredibly difficult lift in St. Louis. Voters are really, really skeptical of the arguments made for consolidation around um, money saving. That's what they typically say. Hey, look, we can save a lot of resources, consolidate a lot of different departments. Think about this. You could have one court system instead of all these different municipal courts and, and things like that. You could have one police force, one fire department that could oversee this. And you could still have branches all over the cities and stuff like that. You could do that. And the other thing, too, is people don't like the borders being changed. They don't want their little city all of a sudden just becoming a neighborhood in a larger city. So imagine, you know, Highland Park, for instance, they may love that because they need all the help they can get. But what about, say, Northville, Plymouth, Gross Point, Gross Eel? Are they going to want to become part of a countywide system? I don't know. Louisville took them four tries, four tries to actually do a consolidated government. And in St. Louis, again, you've got some real issues that are already cropping to the surface, and it's not even positive it's going to be on the ballot in 2020. Again, the idea of the dilution of African-American political power. And one of the other things that they're doing strangely in Missouri is that this would not just be a vote for the residents in that county. This would be a statewide vote. Now, I'm not exactly sure why they're doing that. And the people in the cities and the suburbs are like, hey, we don't want a bunch of people in the rural parts of the state dictating what we decide to do with our local government. So that's something that they're going to have to fight over as well. So the interesting thing is, though, if you look at it, again, St. Louis and Detroit, very, very similar. Strapped for resources. St. Louis is just, you know, uh, St. Louis is, is pretty close to bankruptcy as well. Although the other similarities, similarities there are that, you know, their downtown is going through a renaissance. They just put a whole bunch of money into the Gateway Park there, and it looks fantastic. They've got a restaurant scene that's starting to come up. Their downtown is transforming as well, but they still have the same problems in their neighborhoods that Detroit has. Again, segregation along economic and racial lines. That's a problem. So... You're going to have to reform the criminal justice system. You're going to have to reform everything if you do something like this. It would not be it would not be easy. But again, it could be on the ballot in November 2020. There'd be a two-year transition plan beginning in 2021 with the new metro government fully in place by 2023, which I think is optimistic. But it would be interesting. Again, you got 300,000 residents in St. Louis proper and 1 million in the county. So it's a little bit smaller than we are. But at the same time, it's a pretty good comparison there. And so you could have a very interesting situation there. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's, if it's even going to make the ballot. But I'm going to be watching this very closely. And I don't know the answer to this. And I'm going to ask you this question. I'll put it on Facebook as well. What would you think? Could Wayne County function as one government? Call it, say, Detroit Wayne, similar to like Miami-Dade, which has done something similar. Detroit Wayne, all of a sudden home to 1.7 million people the sixth or seventh largest city in America, something along those lines. And I'm wondering what we could do with that. If those resources were spread and we could use some of the resources from those other communities to fix some of our most intractable problems, is that good? What would you do with schools? How would we deal with that? Is that something that would stay the same or would that be something that would all of a sudden have to be consolidated? That would be a huge, huge fight. And at the root of it, it's an economic fight. But the other root of it would be a massive, massive <sighs> introspection on our race relations in this community. I'm not sure we have the wherewithal to do this in Detroit, and I'm not sure St. Louis does either. 
But other cities have done it. Other cities have done it, and they've done it successfully. Take a look at what's going on in Nashville and tell me that's not working out for them. Nashville's a wonderful place. Yeah, it's got some problems like everywhere else, but it has worked for them. But think about this. What if, you know, removing all these different layers of local government, you know, what, what would that mean? I mean, there's, there's so many different issues that you would have to look at to do something like this, but is this a better way to do it? Would we, should we think about this? And how would you feel about it? I mean, I grew up in Gross Point. We've talked about this before. My community has a very strong identity. And I don't think people would necessarily give that up willingly, and they certainly would be skeptical of uh, giving away political power about how their neighborhood is run to uh, somebody who's elected on a countywide system. And who would have the political power in the countywide system? That would be really interesting to see. And what kind of battles would we have? But it's a, it's a good article. It's in City Lab, citylab.com, taking a look at St. Louis and St. Louis County and the possibility that they may have a vote on this. So I want you to read it. Tell me what you think. We'll have a conversation about this going forward. I'm going to set up like a town hall for this someday, I think. That'd be kind of fun. All right. This is The Craig Folly Show. Stay with me. Hey, welcome back to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Glad to have you with me on this Thursday. And it's very possible that by the time you listen to this podcast today that the uh, wind chill advisory has been lifted here in Metro Detroit. I think it was a nice seven or eight below when I woke up this morning. Wind was howling outside. It was pretty nice. Uh, and of course, temperatures are going to be climbing up to near 50, they say, just in the next few days, which just shows just how strange uh, weather can be. But a lot of you were alerted yesterday to a buzzing noise. If you're a consumer's energy customer, you got multiple alerts, one from Gretchen Whitmer, the governor, one from Patty Poppy, who of course is the CEO of uh, Consumer's Energy, suggesting that, hey, look, if you're a consumer's customer, do us a favor, turn your heat down to 65 degrees so we can make sure that everybody's got natural gas and heat. They had a fire at one of their plants in uh, Macomb County, a distribution center there, which is threatening the supply of natural gas. And they're talking about if people don't comply and don't help out a little bit, that they may actually have to turn off natural gas supplies to certain neighborhoods for periods of time, sort of a rolling blackout. You remember those when power sources were low for electricity? They were talking about doing that with heat on a day when the warmth, the warmest it's going to be today is, what, 4 degrees or something at about 5 o'clock this afternoon. Now, it will warm up in the next couple of days. And to their credit, the big three in Macomb County in particular shut down their operations for the day to help make sure that residents don't go without heat. There's lots of parents home with their kids today, school day, all that kind of stuff. Tons of people trying to hunkering down, trying to stay warm. And a lot of people were making fun of this alert system, but I, I just wanted to say, I think this is the perfect use of the alert system. This was a potential emergency. And for all the people I see bitching on Facebook about the fact that they have to turn their heat down to 65, come on now, help somebody out. There's a whole lot of people that might go without any heat if you don't do this. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I don't think the heat was ever above 62 in my house. My dad was, my dad was very, very fierce about that thermostat. You didn't touch it unless you, uh, unless you didn't value your life. We had blankets. We had sweaters. We were fortunate to have all that kind of stuff. It was a drafty old house, and we made do in the winter. 65 degrees for a couple of days isn't going to kill you. And for those of you that did turn it down, thank you. It was the right thing to do. Just keep in mind, 65 degrees is way better than some of the folks that are dealing with this stuff outside right now. So hopefully... Hopefully the temperatures climb pretty quick, and I think they're going to. 
And by Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to be sitting there uh, basking in the glow of 45-degree weather, it looks like. And that's going to feel like a summer day after what we've dealt with for the last couple of days. But I just wanted to say, I know a ton of you actually came through and did the right thing and helped out in a time when, frankly, you want to make sure that everybody's got something. I think we actually handled this vortex pretty well, Michigan. Didn't see a ton of madness. Those of you who could stay home did, which was smart. I did yesterday. I worked from home yesterday. And uh, you know what? It wasn't so bad. I got a ton of stuff done and frankly just sort of holed up for a little while. I think I only ventured out to go to Starbucks. So anyway, we got through it. We made it through. I told you we would. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we've learned something about this for next time because there will be a next time. We know that. But you know, helping out your fellow, fellow man is never a bad thing. Turning it down a couple of degrees. Get out a blanket. Put a fire on. Whatever you got to do. Just hang in there for a few more hours. Because that five degrees or whatever it's going to be this afternoon is going to feel a lot better than it did this morning. Have a great day, everybody. Tomorrow is Friday. The Friday Follies will be live at the Buell Bar as we typically do. I think we'll probably do a Facebook Live post of that as well. And, of course, then post it on DeadlineDetroit.com and also make a podcast out of it any way you want to get it. But a lot of you have been watching the live broadcast. I think we had yeah, we had several hundred, which is great, just watching it live, which is cool. So join me tomorrow. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Some new guests on the program for tomorrow's Friday Follies, and I'm looking forward to it. We will see you then, and um, yeah, stay warm. One more day of this nonsense. See ya. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.